I don't know what it's like in in your house, what it's been like during lockdown, but uh, it seems to me that little things have tended to get blown out of all proportion. They've become much bigger um, than they would under normal times. You know, it might be things like the fear of running out of toilet paper, or uh, it might be... uh, disagreements over interpretations of what we are or are not allowed to do according to what uh, the news is telling us. It might be that just little arguments and disagreements blow up into something very much larger. It may be that people are pointing the finger at uh, those in the house who are talking too loudly on conference calls and interrupting everybody else. And yes, I admit I may have uh, been responsible for that. So uh, sorry to members of our household um, for that. But if that resonates with you, then don't uh, don't feel bad about it. Because studies have shown that generally during this time of lockdown both individuals and families have really struggled to maintain a sensible perspective on certain everyday things. It's not unusual for things to get blown out of proportion. And in our reading today that uh, Alison uh, um, read so beautifully for us, we encounter um, a meeting between Jesus and some Pharisees. And it's clear from this reading that the Pharisees have got little things blown out of proportion very, very seriously. They've got so wrapped up in the minutiae of their rules and traditions that they miss the bigger picture of what's really going on. Now, if you were with us last Sunday, you will know that Chris very helpfully took us through uh, teachings on the Sabbath. And... uh, how it was ordained by God as the right way to live um, spiritually and physically healthy lives. But we saw how um, the Pharisees in particular had turned it into something that was more of a burden than a blessing. It was full of things like, don't do this and don't do that. You can't pick ears of corn on a Sabbath. And you certainly can't heal people on a Sabbath. They turned it into something uh, much more than God had originally intended it to be. Now, the account that unfolds in uh, Mark chapter 3 takes place on a Sabbath. And we saw Jesus um, going up to the synagogue, which was a place where people would meet um, to receive teaching, to discuss, um, to, uh, to learn, to worship. And uh, um, you would normally here find the teachers and uh, um, the, the leaders of, of the day. And they would be there ready, ready to hear what was going on and uh, um, offer thoughts around it. And you might uh, be excused for thinking if, when you see this passage that there was a bit of a setup going on here. Because not only were the Pharisees there, but also there was this man with a shriveled hand. And the Pharisees were looking on very intently to see what Jesus' reaction would be to this man with the shriveled hand. Would he dare heal um, this man on a Sabbath? Now, the interesting thing is that the Pharisees weren't wondering, could Jesus heal this person? It was, would he? You see, 
we know that right back from chapter 1 of Mark, that the Pharisees had observed Jesus healing people. The word would have got around about the wonderful miracles that he was performing. There was clear evidence there set before the Pharisees. But still, they seemed to miss this big picture of what was actually going on. Now, we don't know whether the Pharisees had previously witnessed anything, any miracles being done on the Sabbath. We certainly know that they experienced some miracles, but maybe they were just waiting for this opportunity. For me, it's just so bizarre that they were completely missing the point that here was the potential for them to see a real miracle happen. But all they were focusing on was, would it be done on a Sabbath or not? Now, Jesus must have known what was going on in their minds because he asked them this very direct question, which is it lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? It's a beautifully worded question because it left the Pharisees nowhere to go. Whatever they answered, they were going to show up their rules, their regulations, as being completely missing the point from what God's original intent was for the Sabbath. It would show up their beliefs to be um, really missing the point. They got to the point where they kind of couldn't possibly entertain that there was something bigger going on. And all they could do was to willfully stay silent. And it's interesting to see Jesus' reaction to this because, um, you know, the same Jesus who had met thieves and murderers and adulterers and had shown them nothing but love and forgiveness, when faced with silence, he got angry. And he was really disappointed at what he observed, really distressed at their reaction. Clearly, There was something much bigger going on here than uh, just uh, failing to answer a question. See, later on in the passage, we see that even the demons that Jesus encountered couldn't help but admit that Jesus was God. The crowds were rushing round after him because they recognized here was somebody who taught with authority and had um, power over sickness and disease. And yet the Pharisees stayed silent. In effect, willfully denying who Jesus really was. And in fact, at the end of the day, they ended up being the ones breaking the Sabbath because they went out and plotted to kill Jesus. What a turnaround. You know, I once had a, a university lecture... And um, it was a lecture that was nothing to do with the main subject that I was teaching, but it really, uh, being taught, but it was really stuck in my mind. And the the lecturer stood before us and uh, he got a jar and he said, you know, what you fill your lives with and how you fill it is of real massive consequence. You see, the world is full of 
Lots of little things and some really important things. And he said, do you know what? If we fill our lives up with little things, with the minutiae of life, it's all fine. There's plenty of space, plenty of time to do it all. But if we fill our lives up with that, then when it comes to the big priority things in life, there's just not enough room to get them all in. What we fill our lives with, what we prioritize our efforts in, is uh, really, really important. And um, What the Pharisees had done is that they had got themselves so wrapped up, they'd left themselves little space to see Jesus as who he really was. But you see, Jesus had a different teaching. Let's start again. He said we need to build our lives on the priorities first. On our trust in him. Trust in him as our rock, our foundation. In praise and worship of him. In prayer, in studying the word. In taking care of others. Being there to look after them. Jesus demonstrated those things. He gave those as examples. And he taught us to do them. Now the interesting thing is that even if you build your life upon that and focus that on priority, actually, there's still plenty of space to do the other things. We know from uh, the accounts in Scripture that Jesus spent a lot of time meeting friends, going to parties, going to weddings, all kinds of things. So even though we kind of build our lives on... uh, the real uh, um, foundational things, there's still sufficient space for all those uh, uh, um, kind of little things. Now, just in case you're suggesting, you're thinking that I'm suggesting we should just fill our lives to overflowing and uh, forget what Chris um, so uh, wisely taught us last time, that... uh, um, you know, we need, need, need no space. No matter how far, uh, far you fill up your lives with, uh, with things, actually, there's always time for refreshment. We must never forget to take those Sabbath rests, to look um, to the living water that Jesus offers us, to keep on spending time um, Taking time out. See, it's all a matter of priorities. What we put in first and how we keep things going. You know, Jesus asked the Pharisees an important question, which they stubbornly refused to answer. And I wonder... When we're faced with a similar question, you know, what do we do? 
When we're faced with the question of who is Jesus and what role does he play in our lives, what do we do? You see, if we accept that the claims of the Bible are true, if we accept Jesus' teaching is, uh, teachings are true, then they are of the utmost importance. We cannot just kind of ignore them. We cannot just put them down the priority list. You know, God has made himself known to us in so many ways. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Romans chapter 1. It basically talks about the fact that we can't ignore who God is. Man is without excuse because we can't sensibly and intelligently deny that there's something behind this wonderful creation in which we live. The universe is just far too intricately and beautifully designed. John and Lizzie reflected that in their prayers this morning. It just could not happen by accident. His word is too compelling to be just taken as an interesting read. And I hope you're beginning to see that as you go through the tour and see God's plan unfold throughout Scripture. Our human nature is just so obviously in need of a greater sense of purpose uh, and meaning. So what do we do when confronted with that question? Do we remain silent and fill our lives with stuff that is really of no eternal consequence? Or do we build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus, putting him as number one, and allowing all the other things to fall in place around that. Now just as a bit of an aside and, and talking about the, the subject of rocks. I don't know if you noticed that at the end of the reading um, that, that Alison read for us. Jesus calls the, the twelve, his disciples. And uh, he gives some of them new names. To Simon he gives the name Peter. And that was a play on words. The Greek uh, Petros means rock and Jesus said to uh, to Simon then Peter that he would be the rock on which the church was built and if you know the story of Peter you'll know the uh, Holy Spirit inspired uh, foundational role that Peter had in the early church but you know there was one occasion that even though um, Jesus had given Simon the new name Peter he called him Simon again. And that one occasion was after Peter had denied him. Whilst Jesus was being tried, Peter was tested and said, you know, you know Jesus, don't you? And he denied it three times. And when Jesus spoke to Peter afterwards, he said, Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? You see, I think that speaks to us so powerfully of how it hurts Jesus when we deny him. The Pharisees denied who Jesus was. They just would prefer to wrap themselves up in all their rules and traditions. Peter denied him and kind of lost that name, Rock, temporarily. And I think that's why Jesus got so angry and disappointed and distraught at the reaction of the Pharisees. Because in effect, 
They were denying who he was. Jesus came to give his everything. The Son of God came to die, to show love beyond anything that we can understand. And yet, the Pharisees denied him. Now, I don't know if you know, but those that put their trust in Jesus, who follow him, we too will get a new name. Did you know that? In Revelation 2, uh, verse 17, it says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, I don't know what that is, (laughs) what the meaning of it is, but I think I want one. (laughs) I want to receive one of those white stones with a new name on it. When uh, Jesus comes again, when he calls us to be with him in heaven. You know, later on in Mark, we'll see Jesus ask his disciples, who do people say I am? And this will turn out to be a far bigger question than the whole Sabbath question. You know, do we obey the, uh, uh, the Sabbath law? Do we follow him because of the rules there? This is a whole life question. And I wonder what your answer is. But for sure, it's a question that demands a response. It's one that we cannot just stay silent with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you loved us so much that you were prepared to die for us, die in our place. Lord Jesus, uh, I pray that we would never be silent before you. We'd never ignore you. We'd never push you down our priority list of things to do. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to build our life around you. How to build our life on the solid foundation that cannot be shaken. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.